Hello and welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David and I'm the pastor of groups here at ALC. And I'm so excited that you're joining us. I'm excited that you join us each week, whether you're at a watch party in a home or at a campus or just watching with your family or on your own. I'm just glad you're a part of this experience with us. But especially this week, we're at the start of a brand new series, which is a great time to jump in. This new series is called Healing Well. We recognize that 2020 has been a heavy year for a variety of reasons. And so we wanna take a number of weeks and really focus in on emotional, relational, and spiritual health together. So if you're taking notes today, you can write down the title, Who Needs Healing? Who Needs Healing? And if you're uh, following along in a Bible, maybe it's a physical Bible or an app on your phone or another device, you can join me in the book of Ruth, chapter one. Well, have you ever watched a movie and thought, now that I know the story, now that I know the plot, the title doesn't really make sense. I think the best example that comes to mind for me is Mission Impossible. How many movies are in this franchise now and somehow the mission always ends up being possible? Somehow they make it happen. Another great example is The Breakfast Club. I love this movie, but you can't argue with the fact that this club never has breakfast together. I can't get over that. And how disappointed were you when the never-ending story did, in fact, come to an end? Well, I, I kind of have a similar feeling about the book of Ruth, that once we know the story, once we know how this narrative progresses, the title doesn't quite make as much sense. It's often taught in Sunday school that the book of Ruth is a love story. Kind of aside from the Song of Songs, Ruth is the love story of the Bible. And, and this makes sense if you view Ruth as the main character, which of course is what the title implies. If you look at it through this lens, Ruth loses her husband, her father-in-law, and her brother-in-law before traveling with her, uh, her mother-in-law back to Israel, uh, which was her, uh, her in-law's homeland, if you will. And, and then she goes out to collect food. She's noticed by Boaz in kind of a meet-cute, romantic comedy kind of moment, and he is extremely generous to her. Then she proposes and they get married and they have a child and, and they live happily ever after. It's kind of this, this cute love story if you view it just as that, just through the lens of Ruth. But here's the thing. I'm not so sure that Ruth is the main character of this story. It's really Naomi rather than Ruth that is the main focus of this narrative. It begins with Naomi, it ends with Naomi, it follows Naomi's kind of progression, the entire story. And that isn't to say that Ruth isn't an incredible character. In fact, I think when we take a more holistic view of this narrative, we'll be able to see even more things about Ruth that we can learn from, that we can glean from, about what it means to be faithful to other people, to love well and to follow God. But when we reduce this book to just Ruth's love story, when we, when we just take it through, through that lens, we miss something. We miss the greater narrative uh, that's taking place. So let's walk through this story, this narrative, from the perspective of Naomi. The narrative begins with Naomi and her husband fleeing Israel due to a famine. There's no food and they have to go away. So they flee to the, the nation of Moab, and, in, and it's there that we kind of pick up the story in verse three. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. 
they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion, their sons, also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, then once they hear that there's food in Israel, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepare to return. But on the way, Naomi stops and says this in verse 11. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. What a statement. But hope for what? Well, for for Naomi, this is a hope for a family. That's what she's saying here, right? I don't have hope for a husband. And even if I did, I don't have hope for more sons. That Naomi has lost the things that she came to Moab with and they're irreplaceable. So she's lost any hope of, of restoration. So, so Oprah takes Naomi up on her offer and, and returns to her family in Moab, but Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi. And then when they return to Naomi's hometown, everyone recognizes her and says, could this be Naomi? And pay attention to her response in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's important to recognize that the name Naomi means pleasant. The name Mara means bitter. And so what we're seeing in, in this uh, in this brief uh, statement from Naomi, this response as, as people greet her in her hometown, is that her very identity has been shaken by her loss. She's saying, I'm not the person I once was. The last time you saw me, I was full. I had a family. We left together, but I've come back empty. So don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. What we've just observed in the first chapter of Ruth is Naomi coming to a greater recognition, a greater understanding of her own pain, her own grief, her own loss as she approaches her own, her old normal, what once was familiar. You see, while Naomi and and Ruth and, and Orpah were traveling, Naomi stops and says, wait, you shouldn't come with me. There's nothing for you in Israel. I need to do this on my own. You would just be better off back with your family in your country. And then when they arrive in Israel, when Ruth and Naomi arrive and are greeted, uh, her response is this lament that says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What this shows us is that often we don't recognize the severity of our pain until we start moving. 
I'll always remember the first time I felt really old. And you may be looking at me like, that's ridiculous. You should never feel very old. But there is a time that I felt really old. When I was a, a youth pastor, we had a special event uh, in the wintertime for our junior high students at an indoor trampoline park. And it was fantastic. We played trampoline dodgeball, trampoline basketball. They had like a ninja warrior type course and our students loved it. Our, our leaders loved it. Uh, it was just an all around great event. And, and we all went home and I woke up the next morning laying in my bed thinking, oh, that was just so awesome. When can we do this again? And then I tried to get up. <laughs> and, and you may know where this is going. My back just wouldn't move. And when I tried to move it, there was just this severe pain uh, that I didn't realize when I was just laying there uh, thinking about what an awesome event it was. Once I started moving, it was, ow, that, that left a mark. And it took a while to recover from that. And maybe you've had a similar experience with, with physical pain or with injuries. But what we often don't realize is the same is true for our emotional and spiritual trauma. When we experience a crisis, even if we go through the, the process of healing, when we, when we pause to grieve, it may not be until we start moving again that we recognize the extent of our pain. It may be that, that after you lost a loved one, your kids go back to school and you're in your house alone for the first time. It may be that, that you go to work the morning after a, a, a big fight with your spouse and you're struggling to get tasks done because you didn't realize how much mental weight you were still carrying from that conflict, right? I think we've, we've experienced this though. Man, once we try to get back to normal, once we try to get back to our routines, we realize, man, I'm still hurting or I'm hurting more than I thought I was. We don't recognize the severity of our pain until we start moving. So as we open a new series called Healing Well, you may be asking, do I really need healing? Is, is that where I'm at? I know that, that many of us are in the midst of a, just a really difficult year with lost opportunities, uh, maybe multiple uh, things that we can recognize, man, we've lost. Maybe it's strained relationships. Maybe you're, you've had so much time with your kids and your spouse. Uh, maybe you're, you're distanced from people that you need to be closer with, like, like siblings or parents or friends, and you have the, those relationships are being strained. Or maybe it's, it's just that unbearable workload between working from home or your work dramatically changing or, or helping your kids with distance learning. It's just more than you can bear. And if that's you, you may be saying, man, where do I even start to find healing? But I also recognize that some, for some of you, this year is going relatively well. That you still have a job that you really like. Maybe you have a home that's just really comfortable to work from home and, and quarantine in. Maybe you're really enjoying some extra time with your family and, and that is, is fantastic. And if that's you, I promise this isn't one of those, oh, you don't think you need help? Let me tell you the things that are wrong with you kind of messages. That's not where we're going. But I also want to tell you that it may not be until things start to look normal again that you recognize some of the pain from this season. That, that when you come to an in-person watch party and see people from your church family you haven't seen since March, maybe it's when you come for the worship and prayer night later this week, 
Maybe it's when you get back to some of your holiday traditions, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and you start doing some of the things you haven't done since last year. You'll start to recognize some pain that you didn't recognize before. That's a, that's a possibility in this season. And even if you aren't experiencing pain, even if that, that isn't happening for you in this season, you have the opportunity to be a part of the healing process for someone else. And so wherever you're at, I would encourage you to lean into this series and see what God has for you. You may also be asking, doesn't, doesn't God do the healing? Why are we, why are we talking about this? That's, that's God's job. And this is where we're gonna look back to the book of Ruth. See, after Naomi and Ruth return to Israel and, and Naomi expresses this full recognition of her loss, this full lament, a series of decisions are made that guide the rest of the story. First, Ruth decides to go out and find food, to go and glean from uh, the field during the barley harvest. And it's there that Ruth encounters Boaz, the owner of the field, who decides to show her great generosity. And then Naomi recognizes Boaz as a relative, uh, someone who, according to the law uh, at the time, can, can purchase their family land, can marry Ruth, and according to their tradition, restore their family. And so together, Naomi and Ruth decide that Ruth is going to propose to Boaz. And then Boaz agrees and goes through all the legal processes required to, to provide for Naomi and to marry Ruth. Now, I want you to recognize something here. God isn't a character in that story. In fact, God is hardly mentioned in this book at all. And it's, and it's really rare for Old Testament narratives. Usually God will, will speak directly to someone or, or work miraculously. And it's stated in the text exactly what God did. And in that case, it would be, it would be God working overtly. It's obvious that God was overtly active in this story. But that isn't the case here. The events of the book of Ruth are all driven by human decisions. Now, does that mean that God wasn't active at all? And this is the, really the purpose of the genealogy that we find at the end of the book. That's where we find the answer to this question. In chapter four, after the narrative comes to a close, there's a beautiful genealogy that, that reveals to us that the child of Ruth, the child of Boaz, is going to be the grandfather of David. Carolyn Custis James uh, wrote that unbeknownst to Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, cosmic issues are afoot. Yahweh is advancing his purposes for the world through the hard choices and selfless actions they are making to address a local family crisis. The genealogy at the end informs us that the family line Ruth and Boaz were rescuing was the royal line of King David and ultimately leads to Jesus. See, there's something larger taking place. God is orchestrating a larger story. God was active in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. There's a reason that Ruth returned to Israel with Naomi. There's a reason that, that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field harvesting barley. And there's a reason that, that Boaz was the only family member, the only relative that was willing to redeem Naomi and Ruth. What it's communicating here is that not only could God bring healing to this family, to this local family crisis, 
but it would be through them, through this family and their decisions that he would bring healing to the whole world. See, God was at work, but he was working through human decisions. In other words, God was covertly active in this story, that he was constantly there behind the scenes, but working through human decisions. This is why the story ends with Naomi holding her grandchild, surrounded by the women of the city who are saying, praise the Lord who has provided a redeemer for your family. Naomi has a son. These are the words that we find at the end of the story. God's healing for Naomi was through human relationships and human decisions. God uh, provided Naomi with a daughter that loved her and with a new son-in-law that was committed to provide for her, not just in the short term, but for the long haul. So back to the question, doesn't God do the healing? Absolutely. And sometimes that healing is the result of God working overtly in our lives. That might be a, a healing word from God that you receive, and that's exactly what you needed to hear, and it brings you clarity. That's incredible. It might be that, that miraculous peace that we've been praying for in our lives or in our home and our families. Often though, God's work in our lives is covert. We see in scriptures and in the history of the church that God prefers to work through people and over time. That's how he invests in our spiritual growth and our development as we grow nearer to him. He brings us relationships. He puts decisions in our path and walks alongside us. So when it comes to our emotional, our relational, our spiritual health, healing, even God's healing, is a process. It's a journey to walk through, but we tend to resist it. Why? Because we want to be okay, right? We want to settle this, be okay, move on. We wanna be productive. I mean, why do you think uh, those in HR and those who are supervising other people have to tell their employees over and over again, do not come to work if you're sick? <laughs> Shouldn't that be common sense? It's, it's not, because even if I'm not feeling well, I feel that need to be productive, to come in and do my part, even if I'm hurting. We don't wanna believe that there's something holding us back. We recognize that healing will likely not be a quick fix. And we're not sure that we're up for a long journey. In the case of Naomi, we read that she found joy in the birth of her new grandson. But there's no indication that her healing process is complete at the end of this story. I think it's nice to think of, of storybook endings and everything's gonna be great from here on out. But uh, those of us that have experienced loss and pain know that that's really not the reality that, that really pain stays with us. And as we heal, we learn to move forward rather than to just move on. As we move forward, we learn how to carry this pain, that loss, as, as then we continue to live our lives and make future decisions. And then as we process that pain and heal, that process becomes a part of our story that we carry with us. And then we're better prepared when we feel that pain again. Now, in contrast, if we just try to move on and put it behind us, then it's so likely that it'll pop up again in the future. The only thing is that we won't be prepared for it. We won't know how to deal with it. 
when that comes again. I lost my father back in uh, 2015 due to a long-term illness. And it was one of those things that, that we had known was coming for a long time, but in the moment, it felt so sudden. And the grieving process was, was really long and really difficult that we came to that, that first Thanksgiving without him. We, we came to that first Christmas without dad there. And then we, we came to his birthday. You know, each milestone is just like going through the grieving process over and over again. And now it's been several years and I went about a whole year without feeling that deep sense of grief. But this last spring, I was finishing up my, my seminary degree. And as I was sitting through my, my virtual graduation, I noticed that I was tearing up, which isn't really common for me at special events like that. And so I had to sit there and think, why am I crying right now? And I realized that, that I started this journey with my dad. And he was so supportive. And, and he was my, my biggest fan as I kind of walked through my academic journey. And now that I'm coming to the end of the chapter, he's not with me anymore. That he's not there to, to cheer me on as, as I cross that finish line. And so I felt that deep sense of pain again. That grief just washed over me again. Now, does that, that mean that I was unhealthy again? That there was more that I needed to process? Maybe, maybe. But I believe that the reality is that that pain is a part of me now. It's a part of my story. And for a season, my healing was, was focused and it was intense. I, had, I went through some counseling. I, I, I had friends that really helped me to process. I read books on, on grief and loss and that helped me to grieve and process the loss of my dad. And now my healing is, is less focused. Maybe it's less intense, but it's still ongoing. There's gonna to continue to be moments where my, my pain that I carry becomes heavy. And, and, I, and in those moments, I, I, I may not be able to do it on my own. And, and I have the choice to avoid the process and really try to put that behind me, pretend that I'm okay. I grieved years ago. This isn't a big issue. Or I can continue the process of healing to recognize that that pain is still there. And how can I continue to grow and heal and learn to carry that pain in this process with me? In the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we find that Jesus is recruiting his disciples. And after he recruits Matthew, called Levi, uh, Matthew invites Jesus to his home. And we read this in Mark 2, starting in verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other dis, uh, disreputable sinners. Get this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I want you to notice the words here, those who think and those who know. 
The implication here is that everyone is a sinner, but there are those who think that they are not. We're all experiencing brokenness, but some choose to pretend that it's not there. And this may be due to our own decisions, our own sinfulness, or or due to the circumstances that are outside of our control. Other people's decisions that affect us, life circumstances that hit us hard. But what Jesus is saying here is that we are not excluded from his table because of our brokenness. In fact, it is precisely because of our brokenness that we will feel right at home. That those who are, are, are well, those who are healthy don't need a doctor. It's those who are sick. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that your need for healing is a sign of sin in your life. Jesus was asked pretty directly about that issue, and he put it to bed. Uh, that that our, our need for healing does not indicate any sin in our lives. But what I am saying is that the more we recognize our brokenness, either our own shortcomings or the way that a sinful world has hurt us, the better prepared we are to receive the healing that Jesus has in store for us. The better prepared we are for Jesus to work in our lives. Now, if you're starting this series with us and you haven't taken the step of following Jesus, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. You are, are so welcome and, and I, I welcome you to, to walk through this series with us and just check out what Jesus is all about. But if you're recognizing that the pain that you're carrying is just more than you can bear, and you think you're ready to, to ask Jesus to take it up with you, to help you carry that load. All it takes is praying, Jesus, I realize I can't carry this by myself anymore. I'm asking you to, to carry this with me. Lord, to help me heal. And if that's a decision that you're ready to make this morning, this week, we would love to hear from you. If you fill out a connection card, uh, one of our pastors uh, will follow up with you and just walk you through, what does it look like to start this journey with Jesus? But Jesus doesn't expect us to be okay. He doesn't expect us to just ignore our pain, move on, pretend we're okay for the sake of reputation, for the sake of production. Jesus just asked two things of us. First, that we recognize our own brokenness our need for him, that we're willing to say, man, I'm not doing okay. And second, that we begin to take steps with him that lead to healing. And those steps are gonna look different for each of us. And that's why we're taking a whole series to talk about this, to enter into a conversation of what does healing look like? And my hope and my prayer for you is that through this series, you would recognize those areas of your life that Jesus wants to heal in this season that Jesus wants to to begin that process with you and that you would recognize, man, what are the steps that I need to take to start healing, to start finding peace, to start finding hope through Jesus in this season? For the next two weeks, we have invited some professional counselors that are gonna come and share from their own experience. They have some incredible messages to share when it comes to grief and loss and forgiveness and reconciliation. And and these are gonna be in discussion format. We're just gonna sit down and, and one of our pastors is gonna engage in a conversation with our guest speakers. And as we do this, I wanna challenge you to invite someone 
to be a part of this series with you. I believe there's someone in your life, in your circle, that has experienced pain, that's experienced loss, grief. Maybe there's somebody that's experiencing it right now. And there's never been an easier time as we're kind of watching from our homes to invite someone to your living room or just share the link for this series and say, hey, I, I'm really excited. My church is, 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 is going through this series on healing and I really think that that's something I need to uh, be listening to. That's a, a journey that I need to start on. Is that something you would wanna do with me to join me in? I think that would just be an incredible step for you to take with your neighbor, your friend, your family member. So be thinking about, man, who could I share this series with? And then we'll also be offering a four-week group for the duration of this series called Facing Anxiety. If you're realizing that this season is just more than you can bear, that you're just overwhelmed by all that's happening this fall, uh, by election, pandemic, uh, maybe it's stuff going on in work or your family, and, and, and it's just your stress level is too high. This series is for you. And I'm right there with you. I, I, I know that this is, uh, this, these are tools, these are resources that I need to be looking into this fall in order to just maintain my own health, to find some freedom from that stress. And so, so if you're interested in the group, they're gonna be meeting online each week, like I said, during this series. And you can find some more information and you can sign up, alcpnw.com slash facing anxiety. I wanna close uh, today with a, a passage, a, a message from the, the author and scholar, Heather Thompson Day. And, and, and I really want you to just uh, listen to these words. Maybe that means closing your eyes and just hearing, uh, but let's listen to what she has to say. Some days my faith feels laughable. My prayer time feels lonely. Like I'm screaming by myself in a soundproof room. I'm asking for hope, for a piece of my future to break off in my hands so I can be assured that there will be another side to this. God, please don't leave me here. Tell me there's another side. Most days I just feel good enough, like I'm surviving on autopilot. I'm, I'm tired, but I'm swimming. I'm weary, but I haven't given up. I'm showing up empty, but at least I'm showing up. And I'm pretty sure that means I'm doing good enough. The thing that scripture reveals clearly is that God's proximity is never determined by our circumstances. Good, godly people feel the weight of this world too. And that doesn't mean that God has left us. So today, keep showing up. Keep showing up tired, keep showing up broken and keep showing up empty. There will be another side. Sometimes showing up is good enough. Faith isn't just believing that God can heal us now. It's knowing that even if he doesn't, he will heal all things later. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of proximity a God who is near to us, God with us. Lord, that regardless of, of how we are processing our lives, regardless of the season that we're in, the decisions that we have made, the decisions that others have made that have affected us, you 
are near to us. So God, I ask as we begin this series together, Lord, as we welcome some some other voices to, to speak to us in the next several weeks, Lord, would you open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts. God, we recognize that there may be pain, there may be trauma, there may be issues that we haven't even considered that'll be stirred up in this, in this season, in these next couple of weeks. And Lord, we ask that you would just meet us there because we know that, that we are not alone in our grief and in our loss, Lord, in our relational brokenness. Lord, you want to meet us in those places. And so Lord, as we recognize some of these places where, where you wanna bring healing into our lives, would we know your presence is with us? Would we recognize that you are near? Lord, and would you make our next steps clear? Would you light our path and our steps forward? Because we know that you wanna take those steps alongside of us. We are so thankful for you and the love and the grace and the mercy that you have poured upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.